You're listening to the Roanoke Valley Church Podcast. Or it's like 
My dad who works too much and he decides that he needs to take Christmas off and spend some time with his family kind of thing. But I didn't really get like there's not those movies don't arrive at a, a uniform or a concise biblical Christmas spirit. Right. So that's kind of what I want to try to tackle this. Come on, Will. Come on. What is the Christmas spirit? Uh, and um, I don't think that's just a me problem that I'm like can't really nail it down. Yeah, yeah, it is. There's a lot of ideas about what Christmas is about, but very rarely does it feel spiritual. Um, so thinking about kind of my upbringing more. Actually, even as we dive into this idea more, something to kind of jot down and think about is what is Christmas about for you? What is the meaning of Christmas for you? And you may be, feel very spiritual this morning. You're like, well, Jesus, of course. Obviously. And <laughs> true. But so then the follow-up question would be, how do you feel around Christmas time? Because I think that how we feel about Christmas can kind of illuminate what Christmas is about for us. All right. So for me, I feel hurried. I feel stressed. I feel uh, like under pressure to make sure that everybody I need to get a gift for. It's, it's a good gift. It's the right gift. Stuff like that. But, um, I also feel an expectation to spend time with my family. I mean, growing up, Christmas was all about family. And to the extent that by Christmas morning, we each open one gift at a time, and we go in a circle. So oh, mercy. Sees everybody open oh, mercy. I've discovered in adulthood that it's not even So, Christmas is all about parents for us. Still recovered from that. But I, I, as I was kind of, you know, journaling my thoughts about Christmas, preparing for the sermon, it didn't feel right for that to be the extent of the Christmas spirit, it's just spending time with family. Because what about uh, people who don't have a family to spend Christmas with? What about the people whose families have been separated through COVID or something like that? And where does God fit in that expectation of Christmas, right? So I wonder, uh, what does the world think the spirit of Christmas is? And very clearly, gifts in all caps. <laughs> uh, a lot of the media surrounding Christmas is all about getting people the right gifts, getting uh, us getting what we want for Christmas. Um, and there's kind of like a pretty tenuous spiritual connection. Like, well, God gave us his son on Christmas, and we give each other all of the gifts on Christmas. Like, uh, but that feels like a stretch to connect Jesus to these, these ads that he gave for tractor supplies year in Christmas Day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally only buy duck feed at tractor supply. And so I don't need Christmas duck feed. Come on, Come on.
I'm going to start at verse 20. It says, it says, Consult God's instruction and the testimony of the morning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light to God. Distressed and hungry, they will roam throughout the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upwards will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice with dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke and the burdens, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's group used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, established and, uh, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Come on. So I'm, com I'm pretty confident that we are all come from a place where we're pretty familiar with the Christmas narrative and the, the whole you know, Jesus in the manger the same song about so even if you didn't know, kind of pick up the context for this. And even this, this prophecy about Christmas, I think some of us may be familiar with it. But I want to try to approach it with fresh eyes. So a little bit of context. I started in, her, in chapter 8 instead of chapter 9 because I wanted to catch that really dark part of the beginning <laughs> to get the context of the scripture because we see that we see God's people have been messing up. They've not been following God's commands and kind of doing their own thing. And that we see that the result of that is God's judgment and it puts them in a state of darkness, distress, and fearful gloom, which is a terrifying way to describe the way to live your life. Yeah. Well, we get this nevertheless, being in chapter 9, a nice turning point, uh, where we get a little bit of good news in the gospel, this passage, where we get this epic prophecy of coming in a new light and this new era. And I love this prophecy because it's dripping with this excitement and this sense of potential of what's to come, and this joy at those future blessings. And there's a sense of certainty that the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. There's no maybe this will happen, or we hope this happens. It's it is happening, it will happen, it is already happening. All right. So I'm just, just pointing out some of the cool things here. We see the things that are prophesied, the events, are a great light of dawn. We see joy, growth, and a bountiful harvest. We see victory over our oppressors and our burdens, and the disposal of all tools and implements of war. And who's going to do all this? We see this figure who's described, the child who was born, is a wonderful God, a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and the prophecy described this figure we now know Jesus. And it, it, it mentions that the weight of the government will be on his shoulders. I, I find that, that idea really cool because 
I think if you understand it in the sense that the government is not our government, it is the world's, the ruling power of the world, so it's not a, like a literal political force. I think there's a way to twist this passage to be like, right. America, Jesus, no. But <laughs> in the sense that the ruling power of the entire earth Amen, rests on Jesus' shoulders. Oh, well. He's the king of all things. And that's a powerful message. But my question as we kind of dig into this more is where does this where does this prophecy hit you right now? How does it bounce into or off of your heart? How do you react to this, right? Because to be honest, when I first read this, I understand a lot of it. I understand what the, the different epithets and the different sort of poetic language is trying to communicate. But I don't necessarily feel it. I don't have any emotional reaction to it that the the hearers in the Old Testament would have had, right? And kind of my source of my kind of hesitancy or doubt there is that this is about Jesus, right? And if this is prophesying Jesus' coming, then I feel like we should, I, I would want to see the world more like the second half and less like that beginning part of the dark and gloom. And I feel like the world I look, I look around, I look out and see the world right now, it doesn't necessarily measure up to this prophecy. I see a world that still feels in distress and darkness. I still see that going, right? Yep. Um, and I'll put a footnote here to on your own time. Go back if you were, I guess, all the grown people. Go back and listen to Ben's sermon on December uh, 5th. He talked a lot about this idea that I'm kind of touching on, which is the tension of us having faith in God, whether or not He does things. And, how you, and kind of walking in the tension of maybe God will work, but sometimes He doesn't work, right? And we talked about talk a lot about childlike faith, and it was very, very impactful right here. And I don't want to butcher his message by trying to communicate it in like a sentence right here. But my point with this is that I think that looking out at the world is easy to be distracted from the truth of this scripture, right? And um, the world can really make powerful prophecy can bring hope if we fixate on the wrong things. And maybe that sounds very melodramatic to you, but you're like, I'm not like fixated on the darkness of the world, I'm just distressed because it's the holidays. And I hear you also. But either way, the holidays is a season where it's easy to have our focus kind of pulled in many directions, right? And I, I like this idea of darkness and gloom because it reminds me of the dots which I kind of mentioned earlier, right? So we have a, we have a couple of dots on our old homestead, and we keep them in a little enclosure a good distance from our house. So every night I go over, I walk over there to make sure that they've gone in the middle to, and we close their little door behind the latches and safe from creditors and stuff. But right, right outside the fence of their little enclosure is just like brush and woods. So I'm walking over there, it's dark every night. I've got like a little my phone flashlight or something. And um, I'll be really focused on my phone flashlight. Because I'm trying to see where I'm going, I'm like, I went over a road, they were like a kind of gravel road, and so I'm trying not to trip over anything, stuff like that. And you'll hear, I'll walk over there, I'll be wrestling in bushes. And immediately I'm like, what is that? Kind of thing. I'm so focused on being able to see, like, right in front of me and being able to figure out what's in the bushes. Obviously, it's like a raccoon or something. We don't have, like, wolves. But I'm still, like, it still spooks me, right? But there's been a couple times where I'm walking up there, and, um, I just turn off my flashlight and I look up, right? 
And because we're kind of out in the sticks a little bit, we don't get a lot of light pollution. So we have beautiful stars. And you can, you can sit there and be basking the stars for a minute. And then you can almost walk by the star. Like you can't really see, but you can kind of see, right? And I say, I tell that to say that uh, we have to change our focus in the world that we live in, right? Because the world is still full of darkness and gloom in a lot of ways. And we need to focus, like look up, change our focus. So my question is, how, with, the, with the darkness that is in the world, where, where does our focus lie? Do we focus on the darkness from God's promises and how they are? And so, as I'm still wrestling with this prophecy, uh, I, I text Ben about some like uh, help me dig into the scripture more, right? He sends me some resources to read. And one of the things I love was this commentary that talks about uh, verb tenses in this prophecy. I don't want to get like too like lost in the weeds with grammar. But it, it talks about how a more accurate way to understand this prophecy is to not read the timing in a like, singular, one-time, human way, which is easy for us to read a prophecy like that. Everything happens there, that thing, right? But you look at the tenses, like the verb, the, the, the verb tenses, they're all over the place. Uh, just an example, right, is the yoke, uh, the, you have, you have shattered the yoke of the burdens then. The bar across the shoulders are out there, press. you have shattered, that's past tense, right? But then, we see that the child is more present tense. And this shows us that these things are these things don't happen at the same time, right? But it's weird that the the, that the shattering happens before the birth. I'm not I'm talking about this as well. It's interesting yeah. because Jesus is born, right? And we're free from sin on the cross. Yeah. But it talks about where uh, our yoke is shattered before Jesus is even born. Mm. The sense that time doesn't doesn't flow linearly through this prophecy. And I like that because it really it calls to attention the fact that God works in a way that is outside of time. And that he he's beyond that. Right? And so the point here is that this pro this prophecy has been fulfilled, is being fulfilled, and it will continue to be fulfilled. Right? And Isaiah preached this with passion and confidence because he says, the zeal of the Lord God Almighty will accomplish this. Right? Isaiah had the confidence to look at the world, to look around at that, at that distressed darkness and fearful gloom that the people were in and say that God's basically already taken care of this. Like, it's already happened in the past, functionally, because I'm so confident that God has done it. And that is a very powerful and faithful way to respond. God's promise. Am I right? Amen. So, I like that that's really the only way to respond to God's promises we fully understand and we have a grasp for his timing is a sense of wonder. Um, the way I think and the way I like to prepare whenever I'm speaking is I'm really hunting for the now go do next part of the scripture where it's like, okay, we've got to do this thing, right? And usually you can find like a very practical, I need to do this in basically every church. But, I think it's interesting, this scripture really, I feel like, fights against that because it doesn't tell us what to do. <laughs> it just tells us what God is doing and what he has to do. Amen. And it's, it's almost childlike to read scripture where my 
the reaction that I'm called to have isn't to go out and do something, but is to under to just attempt to grasp what God has done, and then to just react with gratitude and wonder. So, yeah, um, it's easy for me to talk about wonder, right? This like divine wonder, it's so amazing what's happening here. But you might think about sitting there and you're like, okay, well, what does this have to do with the Christmas here, right? Um, how does this relate to my sense of Christmasiness? And I think the issue with a lot of passages, not just this one, is how to go from understanding a passage to feeling it and being deeply impacted. Like how do I go from reading this passage and going, yes, Jesus did jump, big deal, that excellent, to feeling that, feeling that uh, emotions, right? How do we feel this divine sense of wonder about Christ's birth? Um, and like I mentioned earlier, the world has a lot to say about what Christmas means, right? And there's a lot of messaging, advertisements, basically propaganda about what Christmas should be, right? Chapter supplies telling you, I want Christmas to be good. I gotta go to a year end sale. I gotta get a 50% off or whatever. I don't know what's actually on sale there. But um, yeah, every day we see this messaging about uh, how we need to buy X and Y to make Christmas perfect. Or at work, we hear about how we have all these deadlines we need to get for Christmas. We gotta really work hard to get that Christmas bonus and get home for Christmas. Or you turn on the TV and you see this picture perfect, like Hallmark Christmas is perfect, like house is decorated just right, and they're having a perfect Christmas party, all that stuff, right? And there's all this messaging, all this propaganda. And during the season, the world is working even harder than it normally is to kind of influence our thinking and our thought patterns about our lives and about Christmas. And so we really need to, um, we really need to counteract that message, right? There's this book that I just finished reading called The Ruthless Elimination of Curry by John Mark Homer. I recommend it if you never feel busy. It's a good book. But he talks a lot about how the world has, the world's kind of narratives and messaging is always uh, trying to shape our mindset, trying to like basically drown us from thinking deeply and living intentionally by just overwhelming us and stuff. And he has these principles. He talks about silence. Silence, Sabbath, and practicing slowness as ways to kind of counteract the way that the world is influencing us. And so, I think that I think it'd be helpful for us to dive into ways we can counteract the way the world's narratives on Christmas are impacting us. And those are the the um, practicals that came to my mind as ways we can uh, counteract. Your mileage may vary if you have something else that you think is really great for counteracting the world's messaging on Christmas. Go for it. But these are the ones that I've been studying every recently and I like a lot. Is spend time with Sabbath, right? Rejuvenate your soul, uh, spend time with God, speak in a sense of gratitude for Jesus. And the fact that Jesus' birth is what makes that Sabbath time really possible. Because prior to Jesus coming to earth, we didn't have a way to just commune with God. We had to go to a temple, make some sacrifices. We didn't have an animal to sacrifice as well, right? And then the idea of silently just meditating on what God has done and what He is doing yeah. and what He promises to do for us. Right? Um, choosing to choosing silence as a way to uh, just cut out the media that's just bombarding us with messages all, all the time. This was the hardest one for me. <laughs> My wife knows that every morning I wake up and the first thing I want to do is like put on like, a podcast or music or like even like news or something, just something to like listen to as I'm getting ready and as I'm 
eating breakfast and get in the car. And so I tried to just me to not listen to things while I'm getting ready, and it can be so difficult to just, just be in silence and like listen to your own thoughts, like communicate with God is hard, right? Um, he talks about slowing down in his book, and this, this chapter is extremely challenging as well, because he talks about just practical ways that you can choose to, to reject the, the pace of life that the world lives at. And we talked about little rules that he makes for himself, right? So he, when he's at the grocery store, he always takes the longest checkup line so he can just practice being patient. Or he drives the speed limit. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I'm not saying, like, oh, to fully appreciate Christmas, you have to drive the speed limit. But the, the principle of practicing slowness. And I encourage you to research into the spiritual disciplines that you can use to really kind of counteract the world's messaging and get in touch with Jesus during this time. I think, you know, we, we've studied out a lot of spiritual disciplines, and basically all the world for this. And Christmas is a time where we could have the time to do it even more so than regular, because, you know, a lot of us take time off and spend time with family. But it's also easy for Christmas to get so busy that we don't have any time for it. So, the question to think about is, what can you do that will connect you to a heart of wonder and gratitude? Is it these things? Is it something else? Something that's already on your heart and you need to do X? Then go for it. Um, as we kind of kind of wrap up right here, I have some, some practices that I want to talk about for Christmas, right? And they're both related to earlier when I talked about some of the kind of partial meanings of Christmas or ways that we can interpret Christmas. The first one I talked about how Christmas partially means family. Or how that, that's kind of how our, our family grew up. And I think that the, the holidays are a time of family fellowship. I think that God has kind of shaped things to be that way intentionally. And I think that that is a beautiful time to come together with family and slow down and come together. But family, for one, doesn't have to be your biological family. It could be family of believers. It could be an extended family, whoever it is. But the practical for us is to make a family practice to really appreciate and celebrate God's wonderful gifts and promises this holiday season, right? Make a family practice to be grateful and to celebrate God instead of just celebrate, you know, gifts, <laughs> right? And then have, for, your, for the idea of gifts, I think it's very practical for us to embody a spirit of gratitude this holiday season. Uh, let's make it our ambition to be in awe of the gift of Jesus is to really make that our focus and let that focus influence the rest of our uh, holiday stuff, right? So, but let's have that spirit of gratitude and fuels your desire to give people here. It's not like that kind of frantic, hectic expectation of like, oh, the gifts have to be perfect, so Christmas is perfect kind of thing, right? And let's give out of that gratitude rather than out of an expectation of like, oh, we're receiving gifts also in return, or I guess desire to like, satisfy this materialistic culture. And yeah, just to kind of summarize, uh, let's make Christmas this year a time where we remember the beauty and the glory and the wonder of God's gift to us. And let's really make it be full of gratitude and full of, prom of, the, of gratitude for the promises that he has already fulfilled, the promises that he is currently fulfilling on us, and the promises that he is continuing to fulfill in the future. Awesome.
Thanks for listening to the Roanoke Valley Church podcast. Be sure to check us out on Instagram and YouTube at Roanoke Valley Church. Like and subscribe to us on Facebook and be sure to come back here to check out more sermons every Sunday.